0: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number 1 in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number Limited Edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: Out front next, breaking news. The fragile truce between Israel and Hamas could be coming to an end, expiring in just a few hours. So it's the fighting about to ramp up again. Plus, a Palestinian student shot in Vermont just out of surgery as his family fears he may never walk again. This is where we're learning new details about the suspect in that shooting. And go F yourself. That's Elon Musk's message tonight to the growing list of companies pulling their advertising out of X. And that's not all he has to say tonight. Let's go out front. Good evening, America Hill, in for Aaron Burnett. Out front tonight, deadline looming. The truce between Israel and Hamas is set to expire at midnight Eastern time, unless it is extended once again. At this hour, though, there is no official word that will happen. When the pause ends, Israel has promised to resume its military campaign inside Gaza, which the Israeli prime minister has said would continue until there is no longer a threat to Israel. And that, of course, raises new questions about when or if the remaining hostages, about 150 or so people, would be released. Today, a total of 16 hostages were freed, most of them just arriving back in Israel moments ago. In fact, these are pictures that you're looking at of their convoy. Among those released today, five children and one American-Israeli woman, whose story we have followed closely on Outfront.
2: Got some very good news to report. Layat Benin is safe in Egypt. She's crossed the border. I talked with her mother and father. They're very appreciative and uh, things are moving well. She'll soon be home with her three children.
1: And Layat's father, Yehuda, will join me here on Outfront in just a moment. Uh, Many of you, many of our viewers know Yehuda. He's been a frequent guest on this program since his daughter and son-in-law were kidnapped on October 7th. In fact, here's what he told Aaron just days after. They were abducted.
3: I'll take it as it comes, uh, and uh, when my daughter is released and my son-in-law, then I'll and they arrive home uh, safe. Then I'll find time to uh, to breathe a sigh of relief.
1: Well, tonight, one month after he said those words. Yehuda will have the chance to hold his daughter tonight. His son-in-law is still being held in Gaza. We begin this hour with Jeremy Diamond. He's in Ofkim, where the newly released hostages just passed through. So Jeremy, uh, you just saw that convoy. I know you also have some new information about the future of this truce. Where do things stand at this hour?
4: Yeah, that's exactly right, Erica. Mo- minutes ago, uh, this area was filled with dozens of Israelis who offered a very warm welcome to those 14 newly freed hostages who just arrived back in Israel. Uh, but now, Erica, questions are beginning to turn to the future of this hostage agreement and the ability of uh, Israel to get more of its hostages out of Gaza as part of this agreement with Hamas. We are less than five hours away now from when we expect that this truce between Israel and Hamas, a very fragile truce uh, could uh, potentially expire. And as of now, that truce has yet to be extended. We understand that over the last couple of days, there have been extensive negotiations uh, in in Doha, Qatar, in particular among uh, Israeli, American, Egyptian, Qatari intelligence officials. Hamas on the other side, of course, mediated by the Qatari government. Uh, The aim here is to still focus on those women and children, to try and seek an extension of one or two days. uh, And Israeli officials do believe that hamas has the ability to make good on 10 additional women and children per day perhaps for another two days and then of course the questions will start to turn to the broader question of men as well as israeli soldiers but today a senior israeli official telling me that they will not turn to that question not begin that next phase of a hostage agreement until all women and children are out, until Hamas has fulfilled that end of the bargain. Now, what we also understand is that uh, that extension of the truce likely would not be announced until Hamas provides that list of 10 additional Israeli civilians who it is prepared to release the next day. But again, we are less than five hours away from when that truce could potentially expire. And as of yet, we have uh, yet to see that list and Israeli officials have yet to receive that list. From Hamas.
1: Yes, yeah, so a, a lot of people waiting and watching very closely. Uh, Jeremy, appreciate it. As we reported, Liat Bain, an American citizen has been released by Hamas and she is at this hour about to arrive at Sheba Medical Center in Israel. Liat is the second U.S. hostage to be released since this truce began. And we have followed her story very closely on this show. Out front now is Liat's father, Yehuda Benin, who's joining us. Uh, You are anxiously awaiting, I know, the reunion with your daughter. Um, As I understand it, Liat is expected to be at the hospital within the hour. Have you been able to speak with her yet?
3: First of all, uh, thank you for having me again. Um, actually, the, uh, the phone call uh, with her is supposed to be taking place uh, as we speak here. Um, but uh, I need to explain why I would pass up on the opportunity to speak with my daughter by phone. Um, as you uh, described, uh, I believe very accurately uh, in the reporting before uh, you brought me on, Uh, There are uh, remaining hostages, the males, uh, and so on, that have yet to be included in any deal while at the same time uh, the government in Israel is threatening to renew the hostilities. This uh, uh, naturally would uh, create a great deal of of fear that the the hostages would again come under uh, some kind of danger. Uh, as a result of renewed Israeli bombing, uh, and it's something that that concerns me very greatly. Concerns me and many other uh, Israeli families with hostages in Gaza. It Concerns us very greatly. Uh, so there's uh, there are some issues here that uh, uh, that that are tr- bothered, that are troubling.
1: You talk about um, families like your own uh, who still have loved ones being held hostage. We're talking, of course, about your son-in-law, about Aviv, Liat's husband. Um, You've told us that he was injured when he was taken. Um, Have you had any word tonight as to his condition or his whereabouts?
3: No, no, we have not.
1: Do you have any indication that maybe he and Liat were held together?
3: We know that they were not held together. They weren't together when they were abducted. So uh, um, it, it, it seems. It seems that um, first of all, it's it's clear that more than one terrorist group was involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, in addition to Hamas and the Islamic Jihad, apparently there are other groups uh, in addition who were involved. So. Uh, it seems that there are some issues in tracking down exactly who's uh, hostage uh, where. Uh, but I don't have, I certainly don't have any definite information right. about that. We just have general position.
1: Well, as you mentioned, you're, you're waiting on this call from your daughter, um, who is free now after being held captive as a hostage for 54 days. You haven't spoken with her yet. Do you have any indication, though, in terms of, of, of how she's doing? How is her health? How is she in this well, moment, now that she's been freed?
3: We we saw the images uh, that were broadcast from uh, the border crossing uh, and uh, subsequent images when she was transferred from the Red Cross uh, to uh, IDF uh, hands. Uh, and we saw her. She, she looked pretty good. She looked like she was in good shape, relatively good shape. Uh, we'll see mm-hmm. soon enough.
1: What do you expect to say to her?
3: Uh, a lot of <laughs> a lot of people asking this question. I what's up? Okay, <laughs> what can I say? Uh, we're we're all happy to see her here. Um, uh, we're also here in the hospital with her three children, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, we'll we'll let them uh, uh, read their mother. Uh, and, uh, my wife and I will, we'll take a back seat at first for sure. Uh, and later we'll, we'll speak with her. We'll see what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see what mm-hmm. she knows. Um, uh, fill her in on details. I'll call, everything, uh, basically in accordance with the guidelines that we've gotten from, uh, sure. a social worker, sure. the professionals, it's all, it's, it's all been taken care of very well. Mm-hmm. Um. Guidelines of how to approach uh, situations like this. So we'll see. We have to go with the flow. We'll see what happens.
1: Um, I imagine it was quite a moment for you and your wife, for your grandchildren, her children, when you got word that she was in fact among the hostages to be released. What was that moment like for you?
3: Well, that you know, you know, when it when it hit me, actually, uh, I'll be very frank. I, I have a tremendous knot in my stomach. Um, The issue of Aviv is uh, weighing on me very heavily. This is not a simple, uh, simple situation by any means. Uh, The cases of uh, women and children were were clear cut, uh, or more clear cut, uh, and now we're facing some real challenges. uh, and And people are people who are affiliated with the uh, hostage family forum. Uh, are are weighing uh, how to move forward, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the the forum has up until now been uh, stridently apolitical uh, in its approach, and it seems that uh, from this point forward, it's not going to be possible to main, maintain that apolitical approach, and uh, some political decisions are going to have to be made. Because the nature of uh, trying to manage a war uh, with two objectives that are diametrically opposed to each other is problematic, and uh, uh, that, that issue needs to be addressed, uh, and we need to understand how to approach the government and influence the government uh, to, um, uh, to work towards releasing the hostages as its first priority. Which and not have, necessarily winning.
1: Yeah, which we have heard um, repeatedly from so many families uh, that that should be uh, priority number one. Before I let you go, um, we heard briefly from President Biden there before we came to you, uh, where he said that he had spoken with you. What did President Biden say to you in that moment?
3: Well, first of all, I, I was looking at my phone and I saw the the Washington D.C. phone number, and uh, I thought it was uh, I thought it was the the PR firm that the uh, American hostages are working with. And then uh, I, I, I take the call and uh, say, Hi, this is Joe Biden, <laughs> like that. And uh, it took me a few seconds to realize uh, what was uh, what was coming down. Uh, and like, like, whoa, so I got immediately I called my wife over and some of the other uh, people around who were all uh, recording the conversation. It was quite, uh, quite unusual. Because my first question is, hey, you know, hey, guys, you see, I'm talking to the president of the United States, Where is, where's Prime Minister Netanyahu mm-hmm. in all this? Uh, and the, the answer is obvious, uh, of course. Uh, the, the conversation that my wife and I had with the president was very, very pleasant. Uh, we first and foremost thanked him for his efforts, the efforts of his administration in securing the lease, release of our daughter. Um, he invited us to visit him and his wife in the White House, and uh, once again, uh, the president has uh, shown uh, me or anybody else who was listening to this conversation that uh, he's uh, sh- the president is sharp as a tack, sharp, sharp as a tack, and that uh, any any intimation. Uh, uh, to any other state of his mind is just patently ridiculous. So uh, I, it's happy to, I'm glad that uh, I'm happy. Uh, I'm glad that, that President Biden is a president. Uh, I don't see uh, any other uh, person uh, around who would be able to manage this, uh, this current situation as well as he has.
1: You have been and we appreciate you as always taking the time to join us tonight, especially as we know um, you wanted the opportunity to talk about your son-in-law as well, and that delayed the conversation with your daughter Liat. Please go take that call now. Thank you.
3: Oh, uh, thank you. This is uh, this is a true. This is indeed the, the next uh, uh, mission that we have in front of us, and it's a very serious uh, mission.
1: Yehuda, thank you again. Joining us out front now is retired Army Lieutenant General Mark Hurtling, former commanding general of Europe. General Hurtling, uh, good to have you with us. You know, we heard very clearly what the concerns are for Yehuda Benin in terms of his son-in-law, Aviv, so many other families about what could happen if, in fact, this pause ends tonight. If that happens, what do you imagine the fighting will look like when it resumes?
2: Well, I, I couldn't have said it any better than Mr. Benin just did right right then, Erica. He actually outlined the, the various factors of the strategic implications of what different governments are trying to do. You know, if I can just review that very quickly, Mr. Netanyahu has said his stated objective is to destroy Hamas. Uh, the, Hamas has said their stated objectives in their charter is to kill Jews and destroy the Israeli state. Then you have the American, um, President Biden, who is saying, hey, my objective is, is to get as many hostages out and prevent a humanitarian disaster in Gaza with the Palestinians. So those three things somehow are, are clashing uh, and it's causing some great emotional trauma on the part of families of, of the hostages, for sure. And many people that are watching the citizens of Gaza being caught in the middle as Hamas uses them. Uh, purposely uses them as shields against attacks by Israelis. Uh, I think what we're going to see tonight, uh, Erica, if the, if the pause does end, if this kinetic pause uh, regains momentum, you're going to see uh, a lot of kinetic activity by the Israeli Defense Forces against Hamas. Mm-hmm. Hamas has used the period of time with the pause to maneuver, to move the hostages, to find new ways to draw Israel into a fight that's going to put uh, Palestinians in the middle, and it's going to be more of what we saw in the first six weeks of the operation.
1: Um, Barak Ravid has some reporting tonight that President Biden told Netanyahu if this military action resumes, that Israel cannot operate in southern Gaza the way it did in the north. We have heard these calls for Israel to be more precise moving forward when the fighting resumes. How much sway, especially given what you just laid out there, does Biden have here?
2: Well, he he's attempting to influence Netanyahu and his approach to this entire operation. But truthfully, Erica, it's going to be very difficult. You know, I, I've heard a lot of people compare this operation in Gaza to some of the operations the United States has conducted, like Mosul and Fallujah. But it's a world of difference. In all those other operations, you did not have an enemy force in a subterranean environment, using uh, defensive uh, operations, though in prepared positions that they've been preparing for years, uh, and and on top of the popul- with the population on top of them, so it's very difficult to say, hey, let's let's do a more precise campaign, let's do more precision attacks against Hamas because Hamas wants Israel to attack them through the population and use that against the international community uh, to, to put Israel again in a bad position. So it's going to be very difficult to have more precision operations. Uh, but I think the president is attempting to influence uh, Israel to, to make sure that they do the very best they can mm-hmm. in terms of destroying mm-hmm. Hamas without affecting the Palestinian people. That's near impossible to do from a military perspective.
1: General Hartling, always appreciate your insight. Thank you. Thanks, Erica. Out front next, the Palestinian student shot in the spine in Vermont just out of surgery this hour. His mother, who just flew to the US to be by his side, joins me next. Plus, injured and alone for days, surrounded by Russian troops. How a Ukrainian soldier escaped and survived. You'll see his harrowing story here first. And Elon Musk defiant tonight, offering some choice words for advertisers fleeing X in the wake of his anti-Semitic posts.
3: Go yourself. Is that clear?
0: This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
4: I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent.
1: Tonight, new details about the man charged with shooting three Palestinian students in Vermont in what is being investigated as a possible hate crime. CNN learning in recent months, Jason Eden was experiencing financial trouble and struggled to hold down a job. This information coming as two of the three students who were shot underwent surgery today. Tashin Ali Ahmad suffered a bullet wound to the chest Hisham Awatani had a bullet lodged in his spine. His family says right now he's unable to move his legs. His mother and his uncle will join me in just a moment. But first, Polo Sandoval is out front with new reporting on the investigation.
5: New details tonight about the man who Burlington police say stepped off the porch of his apartment building Saturday night and shot three Palestinian students walking by. Jason James Eden pleaded not guilty to three counts of attempted second-degree murder while Burlington investigators have revealed evidence they say it links the 48 year old Burlington man to the shooting the motive remains elusive says the mayor of Burlington
4: um, nothing that I have heard at this point um, uh, is uh, that kind of critical piece of information I think we're all uh, looking for that would really explain the um, why, how he could have done this.
5: Police say the three Palestinian students were walking down the street speaking Arabic and English. Two of them were wearing traditional scarves associated with Palestinian identity when Eaton approached and opened fire, according to authorities. Hisham Awartani's mother, Elizabeth Price, says her son recalled one of his friends screaming with pain from the chest wound. Once the shooter fled, Awartani was able to dial 911. Eaton had recently purchased a 380 caliber pistol, which was recovered when authorities searched his residence, and police say they matched the gun to casings recovered at the scene of the shooting. Investigators are turning to his online history in order to build a profile of the suspected gunman. Eaton's work experience spans from finances to farming. He most recently worked at CUSO Financial Services. In a statement to CNN, the company said Eaton worked there for less than a year and was terminated in early November and was even an assistant scoutmaster with the Boy Scouts. That organization says, upon learning of his arrest, he was banned from registering and scouting in any capacity. He also appeared to experience financial trouble, according to his former landlords.
0: Towards the end, he got got a, a little bit weird because
5: he he really couldn't hold a job down. Debbie Goldstein and her husband rented a room to Eaton over their Syracuse antique shop.
6: He went out and he bought this thing for the back of the door so the mail would get caught in this bag and then bought four little baskets for each of the tenants, put their names on them so all the mail can get divvied up into the baskets. Like, does that sound like this Jason?
7: I don't
3: think anybody should be uh, uh, supported or forgiven for what he did.
8: Yeah, I see it. it, it to me, it, it was a hate crime.
5: And tonight we're learning from sources close to the investigation that the FBI is still very much involved in assisting Burlington police go through all the evidence that was removed from the apartment in the building that you see behind me. And also a positive update now that we have learned that the parents of Hisham al hortani and Kenan Abdelmide are finally here in Burlington after completing a journey that they began, a grueling journey that they began only four days ago when their sons were gunned down on this very street that I'm standing on tonight, Erica. So as you can imagine, they are finally by the sides of their sons helping them through the healing
1: Polo, thank you. And out front now is Elizabeth Price, Hisham Awartani's mother, as well as his uncle, Rich Price. It's good to have both of you with us tonight, Elizabeth, you know, as Polo noted. Uh, you just arrived uh, not long ago there in Vermont from your home in the West Bank. I know you were able to see your son for the first time. That must have that been, was. to put it mildly, emotional for you. Um, what was that moment like for you to finally be able to lay eyes on your son, to, to maybe touch your son finally?
8: Well, I think you're right, touching the son. I think, um mothers, maybe parents as well, because uh, I know my husband did this as well you you see your grown child and you treat them like a baby. So I just stroked his hair for about five, ten minutes. My husband kissed his hands. We just wanted to have our hands on him and just give him the care and nurture that all that we could provide through touch. it was it was it was painful. It was painful seeing our son, who we had seen last in the summertime, um so incapacitated. Um,
1: was he, was he alert? I know he was in surgery again today, so understandable. Yes, if he was, he was, perhaps... he was
8: alert. Okay. Yeah, he had had, um, uh, his, um a repair done to his clavicle, um, which is really important to be able to create, um, torso strength, given mm-hmm. the fact that he has lost functional mobility in his legs. Um, he was alert, um, and he was happy to see us, obviously, and, um, I think particularly happy to see his father so he could talk to his father about, uh, what he'd gone through. What did he share with you about what he's been through? Well, I mean, I think what my my son experiences is that he he really sees this within the context of of the oppression of his people. Um, I mean, as he's described, you know, he's a he's a he's just one casualty of a much wider conflict, and so I think he sees this in a much larger context of of the dehumanization of the Palestinian people. Um, he talked about the fact that there were you know up to potentially twenty thousand people killed in 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 the Gaza Strip. Mm-hmm. You know, there are the ones, I mean, the, the Gaza Ministry of Health, the Palestinian uh, Ministry of Health in Gaza has stopped counting because they can no longer keep track of the people who died. And there are thousands of, of Palestinians who are trapped in rubble, mostly children given the fact that most of Gaza, the population in Gaza Palestinians are, are under the age of 15. Mm-hmm. So I think he, he really sees this in the context of, of attacks on Palestinians as an individual. Uh, so I think he, he he feels like this is something that is obviously uh, he's feeling personally because it's affected his life, mm-hmm. but um, he sees this as something that it um, comes along with with the identity of, of being a Palestinian that people don't respectability of, of what it is to be a Palestinian and respect the humanity of Palestinians.
1: The, the police in Burlington have described this as an unprovoked attack. Um, there are questions about a motive or a lack of a motive, as we just heard from that official in Polo's piece. Rich, over the last few days, based on uh, you know what you've seen and even what you heard from your nephew and his friends before this happened, did they express any concerns to you about their safety?
5: No, I mean... Look, Burlington, Vermont um, is a place that prides itself on being a place of of openness, of of inclusion, of diversity, even. And uh, so this was totally unfathomable to us as uh, his as their hosts. And you know, I think they were feeling really grateful to be enveloped into our family. We had a very loving, uh, thanksgiving, in many ways, very normal. We played board games. We played ping pong. We, you know, we sat around the Thanksgiving table like so many families uh, do in this country. Uh, and we talked about the things that we're grateful for and and uh, and, you know, um, so I think they were they were truly shocked that that this could happen
8: yeah. Hisham, Hisham did Isham did submit a complaint to Brown University about the fact that he felt unsafe as a Palestinian on campus. So I think, all three boys, all three young men had experienced a sense of insecurity in, in even on their campuses mm-hmm. uh, the last seven weeks. So this may be, in a dip, I mean, I completely agree with, with Richard. Burlington is an incredibly inclusive and, yeah. and tolerant community. But I think, um, unfortunately, the fears that Hisham felt on the Brown campus followed him. The reality of, of those fears followed him to Burlington.
1: Elizabeth and Richard, we really appreciate you both taking the time tonight. And Elizabeth, I'm so glad that you're able to be there. And and yes, um, as a mother to touch your son, I know exactly what you're saying. Thank you both. Thank you. Out front next, devastating injuries, leaving a trapped Ukrainian soldier with few options for escape.
7: I was wounded in both legs. I immediately touched them to check they were still there
1: the harrowing story of his survival after being surrounded by Russian troops with no way of escaping for days. Plus, an American wrongfully imprisoned in Russia says he was attacked in prison. What happened? Obelan's brother is my guest. Tonight, Russia denying it is behind the apparent poisoning of the wife of Ukraine's spy chief. Mariana Budanova, is in the hospital after becoming sick, along with other intel staffers in Ukraine. Her husband is deeply involved in Ukraine's efforts to oust Russia from its territory, and has long accused Russia of trying to kill him. The Kremlin spokesperson tonight, though, claims Russia has nothing to do with this, saying, quote, Ukraine blames Russia for everything. Ukraine even blames Russia for its very existence. These are routine accusations. The denial comes after Ukraine's foreign minister told OutFront this.
2: So it's highly likely that Russia is, is behind it, but I'm not making any official conclusions. So I leave it to the, uh, to the experts to make.
1: Meantime tonight, CNN is now hearing the harrowing story of a Ukrainian soldier who hit for weeks while he was critically wounded and alone on the outskirts of Bakhmut. All of this as Russian forces surrounded his position. Anna Koren has this story you'll see first on Out front.
9: In the stairwell of a public hospital in central Ukraine, Serhii draws back on <sighs> a cigarette. The 36-year-old soldier picked up the habit during the war. But after what he's endured these past few weeks, it's the only thing that calms him down. Last month, he and his unit were in Klischiwa, on the outskirts of Bakhmut, trying to hold trenches. After a few days, their dugout was shelled by Russian mortars, And Sir so he was hit. <laughs>
7: I was wounded in both legs. I immediately touched them to check they were still there.
9: But there were far worse injuries amongst the other soldiers, broken legs and jaws. When the evacuation team arrived under heavy shelling, Sir, He insisted they take the others first. He would wait for the next team. Another unit arrived but were pinned down because of constant Russian bombardment, so supplies were sent in by drone.
7: Our commander dropped snacks, painkillers, water from drones, even cigarettes and a lighter we wanted to smoke.
9: As another soldier scrambled out to collect the supplies, water had become an issue, as almost every bottle burst on impact. But their problems were about to get a lot worse when an enemy drone dropped a grenade into their small dugout, landing on the soldier next to Serhii.
7: I was wounded again, but he was in really bad shape. Two people from his brigade took him away, and I realised I was alone.
9: For the next three days, sir, He hid in his dugout alone, surrounded by the enemy, who he could hear just metres away. Whispering on the radio, he gave his commander their coordinates, basically calling in artillery on his very own position. He says multiple evacuation teams had tried to reach him over those two weeks, but some of those soldiers were killed. In the end, his commander said the only way out was to pray and crawl, which he finally did. With a radio in one hand and his units drone overhead, he crawled back to safety, dragging his legs that were now beginning to rot. Only
7: one way uh, to... To escape and uh, I even didn't hope that I survived.
9: As Sohei recovers in this hospital in central Ukraine eager to go home, he maintains his story is nothing special and that it's the soldiers now fighting on the battlefield that deserve the world's attention.
7: What I have seen cannot be expressed in words. Every guy in this world has gone through something like this. Our guys are paying a very high price.
9: A price Ukrainian soldiers are continuing to pay, as this war painfully grinds towards its second year.
1: It is such a remarkable story. And um, you also, as I understand it, um, you spoke with the advisor um, to Ukraine's commander in chief, Valery Zaluzny, who today, who recently made some controversial remarks that this war was a, quote, stalemate. That is something, of course, President Zelensky uh, wouldn't agree with. What did he tell you?
9: Yeah, those comments certainly did create headlines. We spoke to General Zaluzhani's advisor, General Nazarov, uh, today, and uh, he said that those comments were designed to be an alarm bell for Western leaders. You know, the war here is not going well, Erica uh, Ukraine is not winning this. And They want the world to know that they need their support. You know, this is on the back of a failed counteroffensive. They're now moving into a harsh winter and a very uncertain 2024. The advisor told me that they desperately need weapons and advanced weapons that they're simply not getting. And there's a real lag time. Uh, he talked uh, about uh, mobilization and how there's problems. And, and also, Erica, which I think is really important, I asked him, what would be the game changer on the battlefield? He said, we need all weapons. There's not one single one, but F-16s are absolutely critical. And We need them now to counter Russian air supremacy, not in the spring of next year, which is when they're scheduled to arrive. Yeah. And I really appreciate the reporting. Thank
1: you. Out front next, an American imprisoned in Russia, assaulted in that prison, an attack. Paul Whelan says he actually warned the secretary of state about. His brother is out front next. And Elon Musk gets aggressive, dropping the F-bomb when confronted with a question about advertisers leaving X after his anti-Semitic post. Tonight, an American prisoner in Russia assaulted Paul Whelan, telling CNN he was working in the factory at his labor camp when he was punched in the face by a prisoner with, quote, anti-American leanings. We've been following Willian's story very closely. He's been wrongfully detained in Russia for nearly five years. Out front now, his brother, David. So, David, um, I understand that Paul actually told your family he was there sitting at a sewing table uh, like the one we saw on Russian State TV not long ago when this assault occurred. Uh, This is some of that video from Russian State TV. What did he tell you about this attack and how it happened?
10: Well, he was engaged in the normal work that they do in the... uh in the workshop at the fact, at the uh, prison uh, camp, and uh, there was a new prisoner who uh, was in the way of the process of, of what Paul had to complete next, and after asking this prisoner to move multiple times, uh, the prisoner just uh, lashed out and uh, punched him.
1: And this, you know, we can see in the video there, it's sort of a big open room. There aren't necessarily guards hovering around either.
10: No, in fact, uh, it's a a pretty dangerous uh, situation if you think about it. The guards stay outside the workshop, so it's only the prisoners inside. And the prisoners are given all the tools they need in order to make textiles. So there are sharp shears in there. There are essentially metal shivs that they use for cutting uh, strings off the clothing. So um, it's a potentially dangerous uh, little place to be in.
1: In terms of that danger, um, your brother actually told CNN just last month that he had warned Secretary of State Antony Blinken he felt something like this was going to happen after he was not included in the prisoner swaps for Trevor Reed and Brittany Griner. Here's part of what he said.
8: I told him blank that um, leaving me here um, the first time uh, painted a target on my back, and leaving me here the second
10: time um, basically signed a death warrant.
1: Why does he believe he's more of a target now?
10: Well, I think it's clear that the Kremlin has been increasing uh, anti-American invective, and that's what they pipe into the prison over the TV system there. I think it's uh, natural for the prisoners there to uh, become very uh, anti-American, and the uh, the uh, 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 prison system is reporting that the reason that the person uh, hit Paul was because of political differences, um, uh, because uh, uh, Paul's an American, and uh, I think, Unfortunately, this could be the thin edge of the wedge, which is that he's likely to be exposed to more violence in the future, future rather than less.
1: Um, this weekend will mark, um, I likely don't have to tell you this, I'm sure you're keeping count, 1,800 days, nearly five full years uh, that your brother has been wrongfully detained in Russia. President Biden was asked about Paul on Thanksgiving, and he said, quote, uh, we ain't given up. What is the latest that you've heard from the White House, from the administration about efforts to bring him home?
10: Well, I think we've heard the same thing we've heard for nearly 12 months now, which is that they're working on it. Uh, and unfortunately, they're working on it doesn't actually bring Paul home. Um, and certainly, whatever they are working on has not led to Russia agreeing to any sort of concession. So it's uh, it's a frustrating time for all of us, I think. Uh, and we worry about Paul's mental health. Uh, obviously, now being concerned about physical uh, attack as well as just, you know, the, the grueling mental uh, situation of being in a prison like that. But... Uh, Uh, Unfortunately, I don't see that the uh, government is any closer to bringing Paul home than they were a year ago.
1: David Wellen, we appreciate you, as always, taking the time to join us. Thank you. Thanks, Erica. Outfront next, Elon Musk ripping into the advertisers tonight who left X after his anti-Semitic post. And an update just into Outfront, the father of the American hostage who was just released. We spoke with him at the top of the show. He was just able to speak with his daughter for the first time. What she told him, that's next. Just moments ago tonight, Elon Musk, in an interview with Andrew Ross Sorkin at the New York Times Deal Book Summit, saying this to advertisers who've left X over his endorsement of anti Semitic content
3: If somebody's going to try to blackmail me with advertising, blackmail me with money, go yourself. But go yourself. Is that clear? I hope it is.
1: Seems pretty clear. Out front now, Dana Hall, Bloomberg senior reporter who covers Elon Musk. So, Dana, the New York Times uh, reporting that this anti-Semitic post could possibly cost X up to $75 million in lost ad revenue this year. Uh, Meantime, Musk is warning that the advertising boycott could kill the company. He's not happy about it. It's fascinating for him to say that, of course, based on why the boycott happened.
6: Yeah, I mean, I think what you saw tonight at the DealBook Summit was authentic Musk. I mean, he's angry about it, but he's not going to change his tune and he's not going to change the way he operates just because advertisers are leaving the platform. Um, And, you know, dropping F-bombs at a big summit like DealBook is unusual for a CEO. But as we all know by now, Elon Musk is not your typical CEO by any stretch of the imagination.
1: Uh, no, certainly not. Um, that, that is true. You know, he also talked about um, his recent trip to Israel saying it was planned before the fallout, that it wasn't an apology tour. He did apologize, though, for The Post, saying that of all the things he's written on X, it was the most foolish thing he'd ever said on the platform, liking it to handing a loaded gun to those who hate me um, and arguably to those who are anti-Semitic and saying he was quite sorry it wasn't his intention. Um, is this just trying to save face or is that actually genuine?
6: You know, I think it's a mixture of both. I mean, we finally get this sort of quasi-apology, what, two weeks after the initial post that is still up on the platform. It has not been deleted. And, you know, I think that Musk is not always the most um, emotionally intelligent person. He's not always the best reader of the room. He tends to sort of shoot in the hip and say things uh, without a filter, and that can backfire, which we've seen kind of throughout his career. But he, you know, this was the closest that we've seen him come to expressing regret and remorse for the way that his words were construed. I mean, you know, some advice would be maybe not tweet (laughs) or not post, but he's obviously the owner of the platform and and that's his prerogative. I don't know that that
1: was going to get through, especially because of what we saw yesterday, right, supporting this Pizzagate, um, long debunked conspiracy theory, but supporting that as well. There are so many of these moments when you add them all up. I mean, it does raise a question. Is What is the future of X at this point, especially with advertisers playing in the numbers that we're seeing?
6: I think that Musk is really trying to pivot to a subscription model where he wants creators and people who you know want to be on X to pay for different levels of access. And he does not want to be beholden to advertisers. And this is sort of a, I mean, the, the wild irony here is that You know, Musk created Tesla, this incredible force in the automotive industry, without relying on advertising at all. And then he bought this social media company that is heavily dependent on advertising. And I think that that's sort of a circle that he can't square. Yeah. Uh, Listen, there's a a lot there. And I'm glad that you're
1: watching it so intently because you can translate a lot of it for me. Dana Hall, thank you for being with us tonight. Out front next, an update just coming into the show here. The father of the American hostage who was just released a short time ago by Hamas. We spoke with him at the top of the hour. He just spoke with his daughter. That conversation next. At the beginning of the show, I spoke with Yehuda Benin, the father of American hostage Liat Benin, who was just freed. He was waiting to speak with her on the phone when when we spoke. Well, I'm happy to tell you he let us know they did, in fact, connect. And he tells us his daughter is in good spirits and, in his words, seems hardly worse for the wear. That being said, he says Liat also told him this was the most challenging thing she has ever faced. Yehuda is currently at the hospital where he will be reunited with his daughter in person very shortly. His wife And her three children, his grandchildren, they're waiting as well. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. AC 360 starts right now.
0: Quality sleep is essential. And that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together.